the total black experience in sound in stereo. Check your drawers, holding back the rhyming, sound is of the essence, single file lines, anticipate the presence of the Puerto Rican humble, never overexert, half Cuban, tight brother, got style, jerk. Yo, I saw um, on Howard Stern, he had the smallest penis contest, man, I couldn't believe this shit. If I had what these dudes had, man, I'd, I'd, I'd kill myself, man. Or I'd just be a transgender, no doubt about it. It was a small penis contest, and these dudes was lined up. And these dudes had vaginas, man, but when they peeled back the skin, you could see the little penis. And I'm like, how could you disrobe in front of a woman and they see that? These dudes gotta be mad insecure. And I said, man, maybe that's the motive for racism. Check this shit out. Unbelievable. I would be a transgender motherfucker. And I'd be like, oh, you want to know why? Come in the back. Let me show you why I had to switch sides. Check it out. Shout out to my man Howard Stern, man. This is some ill shit. Yeah, man, I don't know much about these new artists. You know, I just had a birthday. I'm getting older. I don't care about this shit. It's not about talent anymore. I see that. It's about... Well, how low can you go? How low can you degrade yourself so people could show you attention? Because you don't got talent. So what do you do? Oh, I got to take my clothes off. Why would you take your clothes off? Because I got to show them that I'm okay with being overweight. This girl, Lizzo, I think she's a rapper. I don't know. But from the pictures I see online, she's just walking around and so proud of showing her backside, like the old timers used to say back in the days. Why? And I asked somebody, they said, oh, she's uh, proud of, her, of being overweight. And I'm like, you gotta show your ass to say that you are proud? Yo, I gotta be the surrogate dad now. Oh, that's how you're getting some uh, likes and follows by showing your ass? It's not about the music, it's not about your God-given talent? You gotta pull your pants down to get applause, then you really don't got no talent. Teach the youth, feed the needy, confident and descendant of Queen Nefertiti. The mother of civilization will rise like the cream and still build a strong foundation. Secondary but necessary to reproduce. And now like the fact that I'm black and I don't lack Queen Latifah's giving you a piece of my mind. A rhyme spoken by a feminine teacher. They are the New York Knicks. Ain't no team like a New York team. Sports. This is the Amityville Horror franchise of the NBA. The New York Knicks organization is a dreadful franchise, a dreadful destination with a dreadful team. New coach David Fisdale fizzled out in a year and a half. They fired this motherfucker after practice. That was a new low for this lowly organization called the New York Knicks. Who's next to coach? Who has the balls to come into the Amityville Horror House? Remember when James Brolin first came into the house? He was looking clean, fresh, shaven. After the devil got a hold of that ass, what happened? How did he look? He started to morph into a fucking bum. I say there should be a boycott of all the coaches who have been contacted to coach this organization 
This will force the owner, James Dolan, to hire the guy who seems to always evade the guillotine and who's responsible for the players that are out on the floor, who can't get it done year after year. Force him, Steve Mills, the general manager, to coach for his job. What has he done not to be fired? If you can answer that question, then you have your answer to the Knicks' problems. How is this guy never blamed? There is no way the coach should be fired if he isn't included with the general manager who actually picks the players. G. Moody commenting on the Amityville Horror franchise in the NBA. Who has the guts to go into that house? <laughs> oh man, those sirens are apropos. Cuba Gooding Jr., the actor, eight more women came out on my man, all alleging similar foolishness that he engaged in when he got pinched here in New York City. The sirens seem to be coming after this motherfucker. This one chick in California said, he came up to her and her friend and said, oh, you guys are gonna piss on me tonight. I want you to piss in my mouth. Now this dude is mad nasty, man. You want waste? You want urea? You want all that shit? You want to digest that shit for some sexual deviance? It's the bottle. It's the only way you could garner sympathy because that's the only way people will understand. How could you say some sucker shit like that to a woman you just met? It has to be alcohol. If you don't do that, more women are going to come out. And the tally is now 25 women. You got to stop the flood, man. You got to say, yo, I'm on opioids. This is why I'm behaving like this. And I apologize. So the tally could stop and people could kind of get sympathy for you. But if you don't do that, they're going to hold your ass upside down and shake you up for all your bread and then throw you in the can. Hopefully this doesn't happen. But man, the tally is increasing. So pay attention, these are facts, black. Just hold your head and everything else will follow through. If you claim to be a proponent of the Me Too movement and you supporting women, right? Across the board, you have this huge platform. Everybody should be in the crosshairs because you are supporting women. So if anybody has engaged in some bullshit towards women and they are of a high stature, you would think they would be exposed first in an expose. So 50 Cent, the MC out of Queens, shout out to my man, said, yo, regarding Oprah Winfrey, he said, yo, how come it just seems she's only doing these documentaries 
and they are only on black men. Tried to disparage Michael Jackson, dead guy, that didn't work out now. Just like I said in the last episode, now you're going at Russell Simmons. So the next question, considering there are so many others, seems like you're kind of choosing, selective. Why? If you are a proponent of women and the Me Too movement, there is no selecting. Everybody should be in the crosshairs, especially the ones who have the most power. Why not Weinstein? These motherfuckers won't even mention that dude's name. Get all of these motherfuckers. Great question by 50 Cent, and I hope this woman would get back to him and answer that. And what's up with that dude, Stedman? What kind of dude is this? Is this one of these dudes that he's just around to get the Newports and E&J? No backbone, no spine. Great question by 50 Cent. Compton, Compton. It's a home of America's gangster rap, the place of danger. What a gangster brilliant, the gangster brilliant, the gangster brilliant, the gangster brilliant. What a... NYC is the studio. That's what I call New York style podcasting. Done in a conversational way. So it sounds like me and you just walking down the street talking about current events as we head to where we got to go. This is what I do with this podcast that has resulted in it being a five star podcast. Check it out for yourself. Rate and review it. Go to Apple Podcasts to do that. If you want to support, go to anchor.fm slash G dash moody. Dad, important to the family structure, provider, guard. My mom's a queen at Universal Team Civilizers. My pops maybe was late, but always came home. My moms would put us to bed, and she would wait on. Soon as he walked in the door, she barking. I turned down to Johnny Carson, jumped out the bed. We grabbed both his legs, me and my brother. Not knowing the pain he gave my mother. Night after night, fighting, yelling at each other. And also, on a sad note, want to give a rest in peace to a childhood friend. Grew up with her in Brownsville, Brooklyn. Condolences to her entire family. Tayoka Lewis passed away late November, so I want to give rest in peace to her and her entire family. Life is very precious. Life is mad short. And you don't know when you're going to go, man. There is no date. So, considering there's no date, it would be foolish to waste time with numb skulls. Just disappear and enjoy the gift, because it is a gift, the gift of life. And also, another rest in peace to a Bronx native, met this guy, he's a great actor, character actor, Danny Aiello. He gave me some words of wisdom that I will hold forever, man. He passed away. Rest in peace to Danny Aiello. Condolences to his entire family. Bronx, New York, a New York cat, one of our own passed away. Shout out, rest in peace to Danny Aiello and my friend, Tioka Lewis. Snack time, snack time. You guys know what time it is. Each item is $1. Fruit snack, gusher, two for a dollar. Thank you, Bob. Bless and have a safe trip and happy holidays to you all. We have to get into the part two of the interview that I did with 
Divine Joy Randolph. Here it is. Dolomites. Did you uh, listen to Rudy Ray Moore albums when you were growing up? I know. No. I did. Like, we snuck and listened to that all the time. So yeah. I know all those characters. We used to say them to each yeah. other outside. But you never, never, you weren't familiar with this guy at no. all. Me and my parents are close, and I spoke with my father sometime the week of getting this audition. I know he was hired. Well, I didn't know what it was. It was funny because I was like, yeah, Dad, I'm auditioning for this, like, uh, Madam Red. And I said, Domino, what's the name of that sugar company? He was like, Domino. I was like, yeah, Domino and Madam Red. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, it's like some black exploitation. And he was like, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you need to put some respect on this. Like, That's this, right. This is legendary. Absolutely. And so my father, like, he schooled me on it. Really hyped me up. I was really excited, and we found on Amazon, on Amazon Prime, there is uh, like these different collections that they have. I had found it, and I had got the subscription, and I just binge watched all of them. Wow! And uh, got clued in on her. You can't Google it; nothing comes up. So my biggest resources were her films, and the good part is because she was young in the acting see more of her than she knows you show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because she's a young actor, you're seeing like more of her than the character. Mm-hmm. So that was like a secret gift. Um, that And then the party albums. Right, you listen to And her, her voice. Right. Yeah, her voice was a huge indicator and clue for me. Now, what what did you do at the audition that you think made you get the, the part? I don't know because there was some real heavy I think it was my frame of thinking. I began to understand early on in auditioning that in the sides that they give you, like the, the scenes and the monologues that they choose for you to audition with, any casting director that's worth his salt is a meaning for it. You know what I mean? And so usually you can see, like, I'll sniff it out ahead of time in the sense of, like, okay, so you want me to do this scene to show you that I'm vulnerable, to be this scene to show you that I can, like, be angry or show, you know what I mean, big emotions, and you want me to do this scene to show that I can be funny, for example. So I can quickly analyze the scene and know that that's the overall objective, and that's how I can tend to garner myself a callback, because I'm giving you what you want. Like, I sniff it out. You know what I mean? Beyond the talent. Like, I, I just cut to the chase, so to, so to speak. So with this one, I would say it was, I started catching on when I started seeing who was auditioning. And what I came to realize was that with every callback, it was split 50-50. Half of the room was female comedians, just comedians. And half of the room was like actors, actors. And I was noticing that no one was repeating. It's like no one was getting from those groups of women that were coming in. People weren't getting callbacks. Like, new, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, with every callback that I had, it, was, new it was a new group of women. Right. So I was like, okay, so they're not getting callbacks. So then I was like, I was like, maybe I give them the best of both worlds. I'm not a stand-up comedian, but maybe I give them the best of both worlds, and I give you strong humor, but I give you the heart as well mm. in this woman. And so I went for right down the middle. And I found that when I started doing that, that was when I was starting to get 
um, I'll say more of a stronger response or when also as an actor, when the scenes themselves began to deepen even more. Because obviously in the beginning, everyone that was hired besides Titus Burgess and uh, Wesley are all stand-up comedians. So I was thinking, and my character is a stand-up comedian, so to speak, in those early days, that's that's what she would have been. So um, I was nervous that that's what they wanted and that's what they were looking for. But I, I believe that there was a purpose for me being there and why I was getting called back. So then I came to realize, okay, let's shoot it right in the middle. Mm. And I found that when I did that, and then it took on a whole nother life. How was your, your thought process? Because you're working with Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And had you met him before? No, so I, I didn't know it was an Eddie Murphy movie wow. until my final audition. And I think the director kind of like kind of slipped out. You know, that he was like, yeah, you know, and so Eddie would do this kind of like, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, oh yeah, so Eddie Murphy's the lead. And I was like, whoa, okay. But it was a, it was perfect timing because if I would have known sooner, I would have psyched myself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we hadn't met through the whole callback process. We hadn't met. I was getting notes and stuff from him, but we hadn't met face-to-face. Um, and to be honest, I, I when I knew that I was going to be his counterpart, like I think if I was like, you know what I mean, I had a smaller part in the movie and I was like having a cameo appearance or something, it wouldn't have been as in-depth for me. Like, it still would have been a very big deal, but it wouldn't have been as in-depth. But because I was literally his counterpart, his confidant, you know what I mean, his soulmate, his, you know, best friend, all these things, I had to, to the best of my ability, normalize him so that we could be equals. Not in any way am I trying to say that I'm, you know, comparing my talent to his, but in the sense of I told myself driving to work that I was like, you give yourself an hour. The first hour of working to, I don't really get starstruck, but the, to acknowledge and accept that you are in the presence of this man who has been a legendary and a household name and fixture of the black culture for years. But you grew up on this man. You know what I mean? Acknowledge that for an hour, two hours max, and then get to the work. Mm. And so then I quickly saw the man instead of the, the legend, Eddie Murphy. And I think also it helped because Eddie had took some time off. Um, and so he had came to work with a new set of eyes. You know what I mean? And, and this sense of pure joy and excitement. When I, you know, removed all the other stuff away from him, and I was like, he's just another man who loves to act. And so on our first day of filming, I had went up to him and I had congratulated him. And I said, you do your phenomenal work. And that, without me knowing it, was the icing. Because he was like, that's one of the nicest compliments I've ever gotten. Mm. And that you saw me as the artist. Right. And so, you know, and that he he said, you know, a huge reason why we picked you is because of your training. And that you have that other, you know, right. level to it. And that he was like, I want to take this to a whole nother level and really you know, take this as far as it can go. So then I just saw it as another trained actor. You know what I mean? Right, like right. we were like this is yeah, we're going back to school. Right. And putting in the work. Now also, how was it working with the other cast? Like Wesley Snipes, oh, like that. Yeah, how was it on the set? Was it these guys just mad funny crazy? And you know what? And and Wesley said something today, we did some press today. 
he always wanted to work with Eddie. He hadn't worked with Eddie since this was his first movie working with Eddie. Which normally pity people are like, no, didn't you do? And it's like, no, they never they never worked together before. He said that he remembered watching life and seeing just it looked like they just had so much fun working on that project. And it's he echoed that he he felt as though this project was similar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we if you have your number one star who's coming to work so joyful and excited and like like a kid, you know what I mean, at heart, like you have nothing to do but to, to follow and suit. That's how these things work, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the lead sets the tone. Right. And he set the tone of a very exciting and fun and joyful experience. And so we just follow suit. And I think too what's nice is because it's Eddie Murphy, he was like the great equalizer. You know what I mean? Meaning that all these other legends within their own right, he it, it just like equaled everything out because there was no ego. You know, by me being the only female, um, I mean there are some supporting right. roles, but like of the main characters, yeah. but being the only female, they just included me in. It's like they encouraged me, and it worked well in alignment with my character because she's full of so much confidence, and you know what I mean, and strong, affirmed femininity. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like those two things were happening simultaneously. Now, after the film is uh, done, did you think you would get the response you have gotten? Each project happens differently. You know, and, and some projects, they get excited, they being like the producer, the director, and they'll start cutting and slicing and editing as you go. And that... That's usually a good sign because that usually means that they're like they're excited about it. They want to start seeing the movie come together, and so they were doing that. And I I don't like watching myself. No. No, not at why? all. Not at all. I, I heard a lot of actors say that, but I why? I think different people have different reasons. My biggest reason is because when I go there, I go there, and I'm no longer myself. I'm the character. I can't really watch TV and movies because I'm looking through an actor's eyes. You know what I mean? So or, you're very critical. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, this is my craft, so right. I'm not just, it's hard for me to watch it just to be like, oh, what's going to happen next? Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, no, I'm like, yep, I see that and that and that and that. And not even, like, critical in a bad way. Sometimes it's like, oh, I see what you did there. Like, right. it's a learning tool. Right. You know what I mean? But it's not, I can't just frivolously watch television or movies. Like, it's on a much deeper level because it's my craft, and that was a huge part of our training was observing. Most of the time we were observing our classmates do Scene studies, as opposed to what is scene study? Scene study is just when you're doing a scene. So we're the audience, and we're watching our classmates do the scene. So I want to say, in my three years, probably thirty to forty percent of that was performance. Seventy or sixty percent of it was observing, watching the actors. Yes. So when I watch TV and movies, that follows that same formula. And as a thing, we basically learned how to, without physically doing it on our feet to still absorb and learn and obtain the skills through watching. People were coming up to me, like the director and some of the actors and the producers, they were like, this this is going to be your moment. I thought, like, this is going to be my moment, as in this will be the most lines that I have in a project up to date. You know what I mean? With someone on that scale, I knew, I knew of nothing else. Oh, a lot of people will see this because this is Eddie Murphy. So by default, they'll see me. But in regards to the amount 
that has happened in the life that has taken on, no, no, I never fathomed it. Mm. Or to be in conversations for um, award nominations, I, no, I never, never in a million years wow. fathomed, fathomed that. Now, did you guys speak to Rudy Ray Moore's family? No. I know that it took Eddie 16 years to get this project made. He wanted to do this after Pluto Nash. And that maybe was bad timing, you know, because Pluto Nash Ray was like, I ain't really messing with you right yeah. now. Right? <laughs> but uh, it took him 16 years. And so in that process, they had stayed in touch and were communicating. And, like, he knew him. He had him to a T. But um, I actually, maybe this past month, had got a DM from a woman who says that she is... Uh, Lady Reed or Nancy Reed, that's her real name, uh, granddaughter. Oh. And wrote this really beautiful letter, um, just saying how much she enjoyed it and thank you for uh, portraying her the way you did and uh, like with the fashion and making her look the way she did and the dignity and integrity. And then she said she really truly felt it was something that she would be really proud of. I'm hearing a lot of Oscar talk about you being nominated. What do you think about that, considering where you came from and how you said, I wasn't even thinking about acting? Art is subjective at the end of the day. Right. You know what I mean? The same thing as beauty. It's the eye of the beholder. Right. So everyone's going to have their point of view. Um, so I think it's a dangerous thing to base your career, base your acting choices in the moment right. off of, oh, if I do this or that and manipulate to make this happen, then right. it'll happen. I think that's dangerous territory. Um, I think at the same time, it's an amazing honor. And to be honest with you, I suffer from imposter syndrome, big time. Because I, like I said, and I did not um, desire this or go for this. So right. um, it, it, it's something that I deal with at times, you know, with every, you know, new accolade or new email that my publicist sends me. And, like, oh, these people want to interview you and they want you to be in Vanity Fair and and this and that, and you're being spoke about in this way, it's overwhelming, you know, right. because I, at the same, in the same token, I know of phenomenal actors and actresses who, I hope this isn't the case, but that the world may never even know about, and that's just the nature of the beast of this right. industry, right. you know what I mean, it's, it's not fair, and, it, and it's all subjective, and people have their moments, when you have your moment, you have to seize it, seize it. so yeah. it's like, if anything, I want to place myself in so that I can then be a voice for other people to hire my friends and do that sort of thing. All right, I'm here with Davine Joy Randolph, the breakout star from Dolomite Is My Name. Mm -hmm. And we have been talking about her life and her career. And uh, I just want to thank you for coming to Harlem to my podcast. I got an Oscar. I'm calling her Oscar winner, yo. We got Davine Joy Randolph here, this, that, and third with G. Moody and Davine Joy Randolph. Philadelphia, Brownsville, Brooklyn. Peace. The Total Black Experience in Sound in Stereo.